2: This episode of the House of Mystery is brought to you by Legacy Food Storage. The best way to protect your family is by being prepared. Legacyfoodstorage.com
0: Fiction. Science Fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You
3: have... I entered the House of Mystery with your hosts Eric Shapiro, David
4: North Martino, John Copenhaver,
2: and
1: One hundred two point
5: three FM Riverside and one hundred five
3: oh AM Palm Springs.
4: Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and of course, I'm Al Warren. Mr. Michael Butterfield is here. Hi, Al. Hey. So how's how's the old Zodiac thing going? Uh, unfortunately, no new news. <laughs> <laughs> Uh I hate to say that but yeah it's uh well I didn't really 53 years it. and going yeah it's time for a revival right another whole book series to come out
6: oh don't worry there's plenty of there's probably somebody out there writing a book about Kermit the frog being the zodiac so <laughs> that'll that'll be
4: unshelved soon i'm sure he probably is <laughs> or, you know it's it's sesame street yeah good cover Anyway, well, today we're going to jump right into it because we've got a great guest here. We've got oh, yeah. uh, um, quite the author, so Mr. Joe Lansdale, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Joe, you've done a lot, and uh, um I don't know where to begin because That's you, an
6: understatement yeah. yeah,
4: I just like wow um so let's let's kind of go where it started for you. How did you decide to get into this kind of a business, or what led you into writing?
5: Yeah, well, the insanity for one, you know, you uh, and I, I, I was growing up in uh, East Texas, Gladewater, you know, area. That I was born in Gladewater and lived in the East Texas area all my life. I didn't know any other writers. I didn't know anybody that wanted to write. I didn't know anything about editors or publishers. My father could not read or write. My mother had an 11th grade education, which back then was equal to a you know a senior education, and she was a big reader, so she was a big influence in that area. But when I was about four, I I wanted to write comics. I mean, I was reading when I was four because I started so early and my mother, you know, uh, helped me learn to read. And I would memorize the comics they would read to me. And then gradually I just, you know, kept picking it up. So by the time I was four, I was trying to write and draw comics. And uh, I was a terrible comic artist, but I was pretty good at the stories. And over the years, I just kept, you know, cranking at it until I was uh, 21 and sold an, uh, an article with my mother, under her name, and then I begin to sell other articles, and then eventually I moved towards my real love, which was uh, fiction, telling stories and uh, so i I guess you could say since I was four i've been working at it, been doing it all my life, and i 've been published since I was twenty one and full time since i was twenty nine that's a nutshell <laughs> did
4: you expect this kind of um, these kind of results how's that
5: um I expected to be able to do it I expected to be able to make a living at it but I I think that I have had far more phenomenal success than I ever expected and in more than just one uh aspect of, of writing you know so I, I can't say I expected that I don't know exactly what I expected but my you know my wife and I are we we're happy every day with the uh, success that that we've had you know and uh, we both worked all kinds of jobs and you know, I my last job was as a janitor, and before that, I, I worked in the Rose Fields. I was a bouncer. I worked on a lunar chair factory before I met my wife, um, you know, tons of things like that along. So there was nothing to indicate that I was going to have the kind of success I've had, you know, and, and uh, doing it my way, and doing it my way has probably kept me from having uh, the same kind of financial success or uh, the uh, broader success that some have had. It was exactly what I wanted, and I'm one of the few people I know that can honestly say I got what I wanted out of life.
6: You know, I, I read a quote where you said something like, when you first started out, you thought you were going to write serious stories, mm. and then at a certain point you realized that genre fiction was for you. What what, what kind of serious stories did you originally well, think about writing? I
5: always loved genre fiction. It was never that I I, I didn't want to write genre fiction, but... I think, too, uh, I always thought that I wanted to write, uh, a, you know, a novel that was serious about my, my time and generation and all that sort of stuff. And uh, then one day when I was, I'd already, you know, sold some things, I was writing a, a, a novel called Savage Season, and I realized, you know what, this is my 60s novel. This is it. And even though it took place in the 80s, it was looking back at a time, and by doing it as a genre novel i realized that i could suddenly uh do anything i wanted i could have the 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 pulp influences the paperback influences but i could also have the literary influences and i realized that trying to be a literary writer wouldn't wouldn't satisfy me i mean making that effort so i would be recognized as a literary writer um i wanted to tell stories above all and then secondly i wanted to have something to say but not with everything i didn't want to be tied to having to be pulp or literature or what have you, but uh, I also felt that in some novels I was able to do a lot more because they were genre, and people were more willing to read them because the, the vehicle was more interesting and more exciting and uh, had the better line, so to speak, and uh, so by doing it that way, I was able to do both, and uh, I've also written stories that, you know, cross genres and mixed literature and and pulp and all that and it's whether you know you're a literary writer or a genre writer ultimately you other people will tell you that you may be working in those fields and have certainly intent but time and readers they they get they reveal who you are and what you're doing
6: well you certainly crossed a lot of genre lines with horror and western and science fiction
5: i have no doubt about it i've, I've uh I've written for literary magazines. I've written for some of the what was almost like the last of the pulp, as a digest-sized magazine. But Mike my Shane Mystery Magazine. I wrote for sort of uh, upper-scale things like Twilight Zone Magazine when it first came out. I wrote for anthologies, primarily short stories early in my career, and then I moved to novels. And uh, I wrote novels like Jane Goes North and Fender Lizards, which are not strictly speaking genre novels and All the Earth Thrown to the Sky, they published as, uh, um, well, two of them were published as young adult novels, I guess, but uh, I, I just felt like that I just didn't want to be tied to that. I did some children's books, I did one with my um, uh, son and wife, and I did one on my own. I would like to do others, but, you know, at times, uh, uh, a restriction as I grow older, I, I have to really say, well, what, what is it that I'm going to do today? And I realized that I've always pretty much just done what I wanted to do, with some exceptions. You know, I'm a, I'm a full-time freelance writer, and I make a living at this. You know, you, you know, if you want to have your electricity on and your bills paid, you, you tend to give regular exercise. And, uh, but for the most part, I've been able to look at things and say, look, I, what can I find in this that's exciting and interesting? And generally, I've always been able to find that. And mostly I've been able just to proceed with my own interest, just, you know, follow that path.
6: It certainly worked. It, it worked for me. I can't tell you
5: exactly why. You know, I don't know. I, I like to think I have a voice that that has some impact and is memorable. But some of it, you know, it's kind of the turn of the roulette wheel to some extent. You know, you, you've got to be known in the right places to be known at all, you, m- meaning that the right people have to pick you up at the right time maybe you get the right word of mouth because word of mouth built my career more than anything reviews were good but word of mouth has been the thing that's carried me long along longer and it, it got me into film it got me into comics it you know got me into all kinds of nonfiction and uh, even poetry and and stage plays i mean all of that comes out of my love for these things but it also comes out of you know having a break here and there that led to a lot of other breaks and success breeds success and that's the truth
6: well i was mentioning to al before we went on the air that i read a quote from another writer which referred to you as the most well-known unknown writer
5: (laughs) yeah i think that's fair enough it's it's probably a little less accurate now i've become better known
6: yeah yeah that
5: Mm. quote but i do think that's fairly accurate my daughter actually said that in a um uh a documentary that Hansi Oppenheimer did on me called All Held the Popcorn King. And oh, yes. uh, and I, I think that that, that and, and she may have been quoting someone, but I remember her saying that. And I've, I've heard two or three people say that over the years, and I think that there's a certain accuracy about that. And like I said, maybe less so in the last 10 years. But uh, I think that was it. I mean, people have been reading and seeing my stuff for years and not really realizing or putting it together that, I was the guy doing all of that, or that they might know I wrote one sort of thing, but not know I wrote the other sort of thing. And I think that there was a culmination of that as, you know, Bubba Hotep, a film based on my work, helped. But I think oh, yeah. A Cold in July helped, which is another film. But I really believe the TV series gave a lot of recognition to the Hap and Leonard uh, stories, and then that led to a greater recognition of my work in, in general. And maybe love death and robots recently. I think that's even, you know, bumped it a little. So, you know, there's, there's all of these things and one is piled on top of the other. And I think I've been fortunate instead of having like a big moment with us, you know, a lightning strike and everything, you know, goes my way. I've sort of built my career brick by brick and I'm proud of
4: it. When you, when you have that kind of success where you're doing well, um, do you have a, a problem trying to keep it fresh or how do you? Keep kind of going.
5: Well, I think the main thing I do is I try to just keep myself interested. You know, the longer you're Mm -hmm. around, the more you realize that you are going to repeat certain themes and certain ideas because those are things that intrigue you. The thing is, is that if I feel it's too familiar, I try not to to do it or I I try not to move away from it. But on the other hand, a certain amount of familiarity is acceptable. Like in a series like Happen Leonard, if you get too far afield of them, then they aren't Happen Leonard. But yet you've got the problem of having to bring these characters back, which are now familiar to a certain audience, and try to keep them fresh. So I just – the only way I know how to do that is I just try to be excited about the work and find humor in things and find, uh, you know, um, all those things that I grew up with that have stayed with me, they're the real source of almost all of my work. You know, after a certain point, I think, you know, you still – you have new – You you learn new things. You have new experiences. But I believe those earlier experiences, even if they don't always shape exactly what you're talking about, they shape the way you talk about it. So I find that if I can try to get in touch with my subconscious, that I'm happy. And I know full scale that sometimes when I'm writing something, I'm building a chair, where at other times I might be trying to build a cathedral. Now, whether I did that or not, either case is up to the reader to decide. But I'm going to try to build the. Damn this best chair I can, as well as the best cathedral I know how to build, meaning that not everything, I don't ever compete with myself. I don't ever think, oh, this has got to be better than the last. I just say it's time for the new thing. Do your best.
4: So Born for Trouble is the, is the newest book in the Happen Leonard series. Mm-hmm. Those two characters, how do you, how do you create characters like that? And how do you make them so real? Uh, like because you're obviously not these characters. <laughs> well, um, um, so yeah,
5: but but to some extent I am. You know, and I I think yeah. first of all I grew up in East Texas like Hap and Leonard. I worked in the rose fields like Hap and Leonard. I had most of the jobs they had. I grew up in a tough environment, although not my own personally. You know, my parents were great. You know, um, but but there was a it was a tough world in in East Texas in the 1950s and 60s. And, uh, things were moved, moving a lot slower there than they did in some other locations. In other words, it was probably the 1930s and forties for 30 years. <laughs> you know, you had new cars and, and new things, but you know, things reached, uh, East Texas much more slowly. And when the internet came along, things like that boosted how fast people knew this or knew that. But, um, I actually, you know, would not obviously I'm not half and Leonard I'm not you know having all of these incredible adventures and I'm not doing these things that I think are actually criminal that they do, but <laughs> I, I do yeah. I, I do believe that most of what they are is who I am you know at least in the base of that in the center of that and uh, I think that's what makes it easier for me to write about. I mean Leonard is based on people I knew and me. And a hap is based on me and some people I knew, you know, and that's what a writer does. You're kind of a magpie. You pick a little something here, pick a little something there, and you bring it all back to your nest. And uh so that's the best I can answer that. I, I you know, some some things I think that
3: that's ChumbaCasino.com. No
0: purchase
5: necessary.
3: BDW for avoid. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
5: As a writer, you can express why or this or that, but some things are beyond the understanding because you, you don't know what's in your head and all those things and how they, uh, you know, blended in the way that they have. I mean, I'm not saying supernatural or anything. I'm just talking about, you know, from the standpoint of what we think and how our experiences shape us. I don't know that we always know the exact truth, Um, You know, I can think of a few epiphanies in my life here and there, but for the most part, I think that, you know, we trudge along and hopefully learn from our past or from our experiences, which overall in humanity doesn't really seem to be the case. We don't necessarily learn from those bad experiences and try to do things better. We keep repeating the same things over and over. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know that. That's even a definitive answer. But I, I do think that it has a lot to do with my environment. It has a lot to do with, uh, to some extent, with genetics. So I think environment can certainly trump genetics to a great extent in, in many cases. I think it has to do with my own, you know, life experiences, which, again, is just an extension of the idea of environment. Um, and it also has to do with other people I've observed and listened to. And it has to do with the fact that I am a, a – Voracious reader, and always have been, so i 've accumulated those experiences but I'm, i i don 't just have the stink of the library on my work because i 've lived life you know i haven 't sailed around the world on a log or climbed you know everston skis or anything but i've you know i have i've lived a real life, and uh I think that that makes it different than sitting down and just writing about characters you made up entirely. I, I borrowed from many, many things to stitch
4: them together. We interview a lot of writers for different things and, and quite a few fic- fiction writers, um, will say they experience their characters like either like a movie or hear voices in their head. And, and I hear all these different things. What's your personal experience with your characters? Oh. <sighs> You know, I, I'm a big
5: believer in writing from the subconscious and not the conscious mind. The conscious kind of cleans things up, but the subconscious knows things you don't know. And I don't plot. I never sit down and plot because that makes the characters unreal to me. But my subconscious must, you know, it must be putting these things together so that when I sit down, it goes, okay, here it is, and it just starts unraveling. And and it is very cinematic for me, I, and I think it's because I'm not only influenced by a tremendous amount of reading. I'm influenced by cinema. I'm a big fan of films and I've written for written scripts and things like that. And I love comic books. I love their imagery. I love painting and painters. And all of those things have somehow blended together to, to create uh, how I see these characters. And then I borrow from the way I hear people talk. Uh, of course, I, I try to give the illusion of how people talk more than trying to give exactly how people talk because it makes it more interesting when the characters have something that's intriguing to say instead of the guy going, yeah, damn, I wish I would have said that smart line that I didn't say, you know, and things like that. But to me, it's just a, it's still it goes back to the same thing. It's an accumulation of all that. And it is very cinematic.
6: Well, I was going to say a friend of mine is a huge fan of your work. Um he seems like every other week he's all excited because he just ordered one of your books for his <laughs> That's collection. That's right.
5: That's wonderful.
6: And uh, if you don't mind, <clears throat> he gave me a few questions to ask. Sure. sure um, go
5: ahead.
6: The first is, uh, will we ever see a Jim Bob Luke novel? Now, Jim Bob Luke first appeared in your novel Cold in July. Right. And later appeared in some of the Happen Leonard books. Also, correct. Have you ever thought about giving him his own story I
5: have the problem I've had with Jim Bob is he's so confident and he's so um egotistical about about his abilities it could' make for a funny book but it also makes it hard for you to write um, as objectively as you would like uh, I mean I think I would you know if you did it you do it in first person is, the, is the, my favorite way of writing but I might have to step back and do it in third but then again I, I think that that might not work either. It may be like eating too much chocolate. <laughs> he may be a better uh, he better be a, an occasional character or a um you know, a character actor than be the star. So I don't know if I ever will or not, but yes, I have thought
6: Do you have any other favorite recurring characters you might be worthy of their own stories?
5: Vanilla Ride. I think there's a chance that I will write. Um, a story or a book about Vanilla Ride, and she appeared in, first in the novel called Vanilla Ride, which was a Half and Leonard novel, and she appeared in uh, uh Devil Red and Honky Tonk Samurai, and I don't think anything else other than those three, but she certainly had an impact, you know, And and it's funny because when I wrote those three novels, especially the first two, I almost felt like that I had kind of lost that more down-to-earth feel for the Happen Leonard novels, and it was kind of a broader uh, approach, but I also, when I reread them years later, I thought, no, it's still Happen Leonard, but it is also a broader approach, and it it was fun. It kept the characters from getting stale, and then when I went back to them in Rusty Puppy, Jack Rabbit Smile, it was much more like the original Happen Leonard books, but I think I was always consistent with who they were and how they acted. And, uh, so I, I'm really pleased with the 12 novels I've written, the four collections of stories and novellas. Uh, I've had great fun with them, but I do believe that Vanilla Ride in, you know, has, uh, the potential to making, being a really good breakout character. And so I, I have thought
6: about it. Uh, for, forgive me if I'm wrong about this, but didn't Don Johnson play Jim Bob Luke? Yes, in, he, did. Uh, yes, in he July? did.
5: Yeah. He was very good. And then you
6: had the hap. That's what I was going to say. And then you had the Happen Leonard series for um, Sundance, I believe. Right. Does the characters portrayed by actors ever influence what you think? Do they ever bring something to the character that you didn't think of or that you incorporate into your writing?
5: They they sometimes bring something to the character I didn't think of, and then they bring it brilliantly. But I'm not much influenced by that because the characters are already mine. And I already visualize yeah. who they are. And it's, it would be hard for me to start saying, well, they're this or that. But I, mm-hmm. I, I see that the, the Hap and Learn series as an alternate universe version of my, um, series. And I think it's just right. Pure Foy really did a great job of producing the, you know, the way I would feel Hap thinks and, and, uh, he, he, he got that underlying actual kindness that Hap has and his sort of, feeling that, you know, I'm, I'm making a lot of mistakes. And then I thought that uh, Michael K. Williams uh, really brought uh, Leonard to life, although he was much smaller than I didn't consider Leonard a giant. But I thought he'd be a, a bigger, more muscular kind of guy. And uh, so I didn't visually at first think of him. But once he became that character on screen, he was that character. But in my head, they're still my characters that I create.
6: Well, I think that there's a—I don't know if this is the correct word—but there's a certain zaniness to your writing. And yeah. how important is when you have those adapted by people? Like, I thought Don Coscarelli was a great choice. Yeah, to adapt yeah. your work. Right.
5: Well, uh, actually, you know, Don wasn't a choice. He 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 sort of took it. He he was a guy that wanted yeah. to do it, and he optioned it, so nobody chose him. In a Cause he was, mm-hmm. uh, he was the producer and, or at least a producer. Uh, uh he directed it. He wrote the script. Uh, uh you know, he, he did Remember everything Hotel. but act, act, in it. And if he'd had time, he might have played all the parts. He's just that kind of guy, <laughs> <laughs> but he was perfect. He did a wonderful job. He did incident on and off of mountain road for uh, showtime as well. Uh, based on my yeah, story yeah. and he did a good job of that too. And, uh, Bruce Campbell and Ossie Davis, you couldn't ask for a better pair, a better cast. And, okay, uh, yeah. you know, that's, that's how I became friends with Don and, and honestly I knew Don before that. We'd already become friends. He came and stayed at the house for a while, trying to convince me, uh, to let him have the rights to certain things. And some of them were already acquired, but he later, uh, acquired, uh Bubba and, on, uh, on, uh, on and off a of mountain road and optioned those. But, um, you know, it, 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 it made a kind of bond, I think, between us, you know, uh, uh because it when you're working low budget, I think there's a, a different feel to it. I, and Don would not like for us to call it a B movie. And I, I get yeah. what he means by that, but I'm I'm sort of I think Bruce agrees with me. It's a B movie in the best sense of the word. You know, it doesn't yeah. have a lot of money. Yeah. It's not trying to you know, you know startle you and dazzle you with special effects. It's just damn good acting uh and it has a thematic depth that goes beyond the sort of metaphorical uh, setup
6: and now I was going to ask you for those of us who are looking to read a collection of your short stories, which of yours would you recommend? Do you have a favorite
5: wow that 's a tough one. Um, a lot of them are coming back into print now, so uh, there's if you if you 're going to read on a Kindle, you can go online at from subterranean press and they have republished um, in ebooks the books that were published by SST that are four volumes and they don't cover all my work and they're not each story the best but they're some the best amongst them and there's some that are i think are outstanding or good or quirky enough to to include and there's four volumes there's cosmic interruptions which deals kind of with the science fiction stuff these are arbitrary especially in my case as far as titles and and things but cosmic interruptions and then uh uh, Blood in the Gears, which is, leans more towards crime, and Wet Juju, which leans more towards uh, horrific or strange, and then Gothic Wounds, which deals with kind of Gothic stories, but it also cheats and deals with Westerns and historical stuff and some uh, very curious odds and ends. So if you could go online for those four books, you've got, and they're huge books, so you've got a lot of reading there. And it would give you kind of an overall view of my career. And if you were looking for a best of volume, which I think it is a little outdated, but it's still good and it's available from Tachyon Books, is the best of Joe R. Lansdale. So those would be the ones I would recommend off the top of my head. Uh, Many of them are going to be rearranged and reprinted in the near future. Because I had people say, well, you know, I have that book. Why do you keep, you know, redoing them? I say, because you have that book, and that book's out of print, and there are new readers. I'm I'm fortunate that I get new readers all the time, and I want them to have those stories that may be no longer available.
6: Now, is it true that your personal favorite of your novels is Paradise Sky?
5: It is true, yes.
6: What draws you to the Western genre? Hmm.
5: Well, I like all of the genres and sometimes when I'm working on one genre, I'm I'm anxious to get to another, you know. Maybe that's cuz you, you have maybe you have hard days or something, but I love all of it. But you know, when I was a kid, uh my dad was a big fan of westerns. And like I said, he he couldn't read or write towards the end of his life. He got to where he could kind of dope out the newspaper and comic books and and he tried to read books. Cause he tried hard. He would spend months reading one paperback, but it was always a western paperback. And I'm sure he didn't get the totality of it, you know, but, uh, I, to, but to wait till you're 50 something to start learning to read is, uh, you know, quite a thing. And then he never really did learn to read and he never learned to write anything but his name. Uh, but he liked Western movies and Western TV series. And so I grew up in the era when those were hot. And so he and I would watch those. And I think that, uh, my early reads of Westerns weren't didn't impress me much because I I didn't much care for them I didn't think the ones I read were very good and then later on in life and when I was in my 20s in in the 1970s I began to read more westerns and thought wow I just read the wrong ones and so as I began to read more westerns I found that there was something deep inside of me that was moved by and I think part of that was the fact that my father was born in 1909. He was 42 when I was born. My mother was born in 1914. So when my dad was born, you know, um, Buffalo Bill was still alive. Annie Oakley was still alive. Uh, White Eric was still alive. Matt Masterson was still alive. And some of them died when he was a teenager, you know. And it's just uh, amazing to think about. And his his past, coming from poverty coming from absolutely no education, going to work at eight years old. Um, he had, was not that far from the old West. And he told stories that had been passed down to him, as well as stories of his own, because the West didn't just say, it's 1900, I quit. You know, the elements mm-hmm. of that continued on into the early 1900s. And, uh, in fact, World War One was is sometimes called the Cowboy War um, because of the use of horses. And, of course, Pancho Villa was pursued Uh, across the uh, Texas state line into Mexico by, you know, horse-drawn cavalry. I mean, horse-drawn artillery and cavalry and things of that nature because, you know, those things were still going on. So I think that that may have impacted on me, as did the Great Depression, which my parents went through as, you know, young adults or um, certainly young men and women, and they had a lot of stories about that because, you know, my dad worked all kinds of horrid jobs to to survive, and and as well as my mother. And so they came out of that, I, I think, scarred by it to some degree, but also feeling like champions because they had survived it. And though, though we never had a lot of money, I think they thought we were living a, a damn good life. I, I know I did. I didn't think anything about it because so many people around me were the same. But compared to what they had been through, they thought that, and I think that that, the thirties as well as the old West stories and things impacted me so that, um, the Western and, um, sort of things in the, in the thirties and stuff seem to have had a, a, a great, you know, Influence on the sort of things I write.
6: Well, I was also going to ask you if you have any more projects lined up with your kids.
5: Ah, uh, yes. Um, my daughter and I, of course, we had a book of short stories come out, but it's being done in a special edition from um, SST Press. A small, you know, a small run, but a special, really cool-looking edition of Terra is our business. Uh, Casey and I also have a collection of short stories that we've written together, unrelated. To those characters uh, called um, uh, Dark Kin, which comes out from Thunderstorm Books. She and I have a comic book series coming out from Dead Sky. We turned in the first issue, and we've written some independent short stories since then. Uh, my son and I have worked together on. We had a novel that we did together, and uh, he wrote a screenplay based on one of my novels. That I mean, one of my stories that I hope to direct as a film if all things continue in, in that direction. And uh, we have other things planned together. So, yeah, I, th- I think there will be more, you know, because of how long I live. <laughs>
6: <laughs> well, you've done a lot of work in comic books, uh, especially yes. if I remember correctly for Jonah Hex and things like that. Yeah. How do you feel about the way that comic books have kind of taken over uh, film and, and television these days?
5: Well, I think film took over comic books. So I, I think, I think <laughs> yeah, that's comic, probably right. comic books don't sell that well anymore. And uh, the characters mm-hmm. from the comics, what, what happened is that one of the things when we were kids, if we read superhero comics like Batman or Iron Man or whatever, because I had all of those things. I read all the original Marvel. I used to have them all, the old story about, you know, your mom throws away your comics. But... <laughs> um, I think the difference is, is that in more recent years, that the stuff that you couldn't do on film, you'd see a film and it always like, yeah, Batman, yeah, yeah, that doesn't look right. And then all of a sudden, yeah. now they have special effects that rival what a what an artist can do, what a comics can do, because it's just another form of art, and yet it mm-hmm. moves and it's impressive and it's uh, it feels a, a a giant screen, and I, so I think a lot of the things that made Superhero comics, unique, are no longer unique to comics anymore. But I think the popularity of those kinds of stories, uh, you know, are obviously continuing just in a, a different way.
6: Now, this might come out of left field here, but I read this about you and I just had to ask. Yep. You were chosen to finish a Tarzan story after right. Edgar Rice Burroughs died. Um, what, sure. what is that like for someone being known for your own style? How do you bring <laughs> that to writing another a character from another writer?
5: Well, I'm a, a, a great fan of Edgar Rice Burroughs. I, you know, I think a lot of his stuff is dated and, and such, but he was the first writer that not the first writer that kind of made me want to write, but he was the first writer that, that was such that impacted me in such a way I knew I had to write. And he was such a great storyteller. So I was well versed in everything that he had written. You know, I'd read up the Tarzan, the John Carter, Mars, the Pellucitor, um, you know, all of the other individual books that he had written that were available, you know, to us in paperback. And, uh, and once I found one, I started searching for all of them. And so I was on the phone with, uh, I think it was Jerry Prosser who at that time worked at dark horse and, and it may have been someone else, you know, I, I, I don't remember exactly. And they were, we were talking about some other project that I was doing there or was being done, uh, for my stuff. And, uh, whoever this editor was mentioned that they had the rights to Tarzan, to the Edgar Rice Burroughs Tarzan. And I said, man, that's fantastic. And he said, yeah, and we have this unfinished Tarzan novel that, uh, you know, we, we're going to hire somebody to finish. And I said, oh, man, you need to get Philip Jose Farmer. You know, he's one of my favorite writers. I really like him. And he would just do you a tremendous job. And they said, uh, Well, we were thinking of you and I said, well, what the hell with Philip Jose Farmer? Yeah. (laughs) I'll do it. So I had a real short deadline and I I didn't try to like copy his style verbatim because I had a, a kind of my own style, but I tried to find a place where I didn't jettison his style. And I had 80 pages of his work, which I moved around and you know, some of it, it had dated attitudes about race and women and things that were not just a little off, but were extremely off. And I sort of felt like I knew why this one had never been published and it was in uh, a safe. It wasn't his best work. And I think he recognized that and put it away. But I think it turned out to be a, a good novel when I sort of moved some things around and and made some of the um, – Things a little bit more, you know. I didn't do it politically politically correct because I, I, I don't like extreme political correctness. But you know, this was so much of a time when uh, black people were looked upon as you know lesser human beings, and 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 actually, Burroughs could be very inconsistent about that. Sometimes he would have a different viewpoint there, but it wasn't just the character's viewpoint. It came across as the novel writer's viewpoint, and so some of that stuff I updated, but for the most part. Um, I kept it pretty much what he was doing, and just finished it out. And it was a great, great pleasure to have done. And then later on, I was hired to do a, a Tarzan novella and a John Carter short story, and I greatly enjoyed those. And it's possible that I may, in fact, do more work in that arena. You know, because uh, those were the things oh, wow. that first impressed me as a as a child. And so I, I, it's sort of a respectful thing, but it's also nice to slip into that particular. Uh, kind of story, which I don't think is particularly that popular anymore because it's been mutated, borrowed, and, and worked on so, oh, yeah. so many times, but that doesn't keep me from being interested in it.
6: Now, those were culminated in, I think it was a four volume set called Tarzan, The Lost Adventure. Is that correct?
5: Uh, yeah. They, they, uh, they were, they were individual. There were four individual kind of pulp style comics, and then they were put into a novel and, uh, that came out in hardback and then paperback. And I think, and they're they're redoing I think all of the Tarzan books in, in uh, um, special editions and things and and of course that one will eventually get there I hope I hope while I'm still around you know because uh, mm-hmm. there are a lot of Tarzan books you go like twenty something years <laughs> thirty years yeah, yeah. in
4: Tarzan. Probably. I'm wondering so what what is the um... A day in the life of uh, Joe Lansdale. Uh, how do you how do you plan your your writing time and can you just actually plan it, sit down, outline and do it, or do I don't you have outline. to be particularly? you, know, outline all. you don't, outline. don't
5: outline. No. What what I do is that I work every morning. You know, I very rarely take off uh, because since I'm not going to work by more than three hours a day, what's to take off from? You know, every now and again, I will take a day off or feel like I need to get away from a project. But there's a difference in goofing off and taking off. And so I try never to goof off. Uh, I, I say, well, I get up in the morning and I go in, I have my coffee, my piece of toast. I go up to the computer, I turn it on, I hit the highlights on the email, uh, the fan page, and then I jump right into it. And because I don't want to wake up too much because I want to be somewhat in that semi dream state. And I start writing, and I go three to five pages is my limit of, uh, I mean, mean my bottom. And if I get more than that, and sometimes I do, sometimes I'll get 10 or 15 pages, but it all sort of comes together within about three hours, and and I couldn't tell you why that is. And sometimes I'll get three pages and think, I don't want to do any more today on this, and I'll switch over to a short story and work on it or some other project, but because I show up, Almost every day, including holidays, because I'm not really affecting holidays since I work early and since I'm done before anybody's deciding to do Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever it is. um, It makes me seem far more prolific than I am. I'm a steady writer uh, and I write reasonably fast. But the real key to my uh, being prolific really has to do with just showing up. I don't believe in the muse. I don't wait for the muse to show up because I am the muse. I'm writing this stuff you know and when my when i get up in the morning nine times out of ten by the time my feet hit the floor i'm already ready uh, you know i haven't thought about it in any big conscious way and uh, i just let the subconscious tell me the story so i'll be surprised if i outline something i lose interest in it i don't really want to do it and i'm not saying that's a bad way of doing it for other people I, there, there's no set way of doing it. It's what works for you, but outlining definitely doesn't work for
6: me. Well, I saw some great advice you had given writers when you said just get your butt in a chair and write.
5: Yeah, yeah. And the other thing, too, is that when you're writing, you got to write like everybody you know is dead. You can't be yeah, writing for that was a great friends or, friends or people and things like that. Now, when you get done, you can hope like hell other people like it. But I think when you're writing it, if you're you're sitting there and you're constantly conscious of other people's, viewpoints or, or how they'll receive this, agents, editors, friends, you know, family, whatever, I think you're you're screwed because it's already getting away from you. It's starting to be somebody else's story, whether you know it or not. But if you write your story when you get done and you had a good time doing it, usually you'll find that there are people who respond to the same things that you respond to. And it causes you, for me anyway, often causes me to make choices that are totally outside the box. And, and sometimes I, I, you know, I feel like I want to do something that's somewhat traditional in feel. And I try to do that as well as I can, but I also try to make it have its own approach to that tradition and to sort of create another layer on top of it or under it. Uh, so to me, it's, it's a joy to be a writer. I'm not one of those that loves having written. I like writing and then having written as well
4: so it does does mood or things going on around you affect how the outcome is you know like look at the last couple of years all the craziness and the pandemic and all the you know political fighting and stuff does, yeah. does kind of mood or the tension around you kind of seep into the writing or maybe yeah. affect it yeah i think
5: it does i think i think that uh, even subconsciously it does you know you um I don't think it affects the quality of my work, but it sometimes affects the content. And uh, so in that way, things going on around me or things that I'm interested in or things that I'm seeing or hearing may find their way directly into the work. But more often, they find their way metaphorically into the work because I'm not always conscious that i'm doing it
6: well i wanted to ask you you mentioned that you get up and check your uh, fan mail and things like that you obviously yeah. had said that your career has been built a lot on word of mouth right how important is it nowadays with facebook and social media and everything to connect with your fans because i've heard that you're very appreciative and uh, i am consider- very appreciative
5: of, of my readers you know i i tend to think of am more as readers than, than fans but i um I'm very appreciative of it, appreciative of it, but at the same time, I wish I didn't have Facebook or Twitter or any of that stuff. Cause, uh, I think that there's so much other stuff that it goes with, it, you know, but I don't spend a lot of time on it. I'm, I, I'm sort of, I hit, I hit it through the day on Twitter, for example, I'll, I'll hit through the day, but by the time of the end of the day, I probably spent 20 minutes and I, I respond quickly. I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't have a like a long time between putting something together. Because I know that this is my time just to be loose, not to try to be uh, you know, trying to uh produce literature on Twitter, you know. And so uh for me I, I enjoy the contact w- with uh readers and uh but you know people make the mistake of thinking that Twitter is the universe and it's not, you know uh yeah. I'm not uh you know, I'm not like a super politically correct guy, but I, I, I you know, politically I lean left, and uh, that's I, I always have. But I'm not a far left or far right because I think they're the same people, they're the same jackasses. So if I get that on my Twitter or whatever, I that stuff I just go gone. You know, or or I, I sometimes I'll respond if they're reasonable and what they're trying to say. But if it's just you know some hysterical uh, uh, approach to their viewpoint, then I just get rid of them. But on twitter it, it's kind of gotten down to where it's book people and and people in like they like books and films and things of that and my my fan page is not a facebook page i'm listed as having a facebook page and i and they have me as it's my facebook page i never go on it i go to the fan mm-hmm. page and that facebook page there's no telling what what's on all these ads all these different stuff but you have to have that page to have the fan page and so uh mm-hmm. you know i that the fan page is a lot easier to handle. There's not as much stuff. You know, you got thirty thousand people, but not thirty thousand people are writing you every day. <laughs> you know, yeah. And and I also just have a built-in thing that says, okay, I've spent that much time. I'm not spending any more today. And uh, I try to respond to everybody, but I can't. You know, it's it's just too much. But um, I'll try to answer a question that maybe several people have asked, and uh, maybe that way I cover a, a, a more ground, but. Uh, if I didn't, if if you didn't have to do a lot of the work yourself today to promote yourself, to make sure people even know those books are out there, I probably wouldn't do either one of them, Um, although certainly there are people, friendships that I've made that I would miss. But outside of friendships I've made online, I'm not one of those people that always, you know, takes to heart that I've got this person on my Twitter page. And, uh, you know, I don't want to end up uh, like thinking I've got this great friend and and it and it's just somebody on Twitter, and I don't want them to do that either. You know, <laughs> uh, some yeah. some people you can meet that way and have a real friendship that way, and uh, there's nothing wrong with that. But on the whole, I want to know people face to face. You know, I, mm-hmm. when uh, Bill Paxson uh, optioned, uh, well, the company, whoever he was working with at that time, I forget who we had at that time, but optioned uh, the Bottoms. I already liked his work, but. When I met him at a um, a film film festival, we hit it off and became good friends and whatever. But it made a difference not knowing just the persona that they present that you that you see, which can be transferred to like Twitter or, or a fan page or whatever. But you meet somebody in person, you you begin to realize who they are. And you just you know and you know Bill wasn't a movie star type guy. He was just this great human being. And that's what interested me, and I wanted to make, make sure. And, and I'd always loved his work, and, uh, you know, I saw the film he directed, Frailty, which was just awesome. But then it really, yeah. for me, it, it had more to do with personal contact. I mean, sometimes my agent will make deals with people I don't know, and, uh, you know, that happens. You can't do this business and expect to meet everybody all the time. But, you know, I really loved meeting him. And, and, and you know, there are good people in this business, even though there are a lot of lousy people in the film Part of it, there are good people like Bill was wonderful, and, and Bruce Campbell and Don, and you know, and many others, J- Jim Mickle and uh, Nick DiMici. I mean, uh, all of these people uh, have become friends, but not because we were friends on Twitter. Mm-hmm. But because we actually had the opportunity to to meet,
4: yeah. So so, how do people get a hold of you or find you? Do You have a website. Uh, yeah, websites, I have a website. I
5: have the fan page, and I have the Twitter page, and I apparently I have an Instagram page, but I don't use it at all. My my daughter set it up, and she uses it to help promote things of mine. She's a wonderful um, promoter of my work, and and helps me in a lot of things. As my wife has done, you know, nearly our entire life. She actually is the secret behind. All of our successes because she's managed our careers. She's not an agent, but she always kept everything together. She's kind of retired from that now because as time has gone on, we've had accountants and agents and all of this other stuff that, that ends up you have to have just to, to keep going unless you want to spend, you know, have my poor wife spend, you know, 20 hours a day <laughs> working on it.
6: They can go to com though, right? They really
5: yeah. can. But I, you know, my, my favorite place for people to contact me is probably my fan page or Twitter
4: page. Oh, there you go. Now we're going to have that up on the website as well. So people can find you with one click that are I'm easy name. to find. Uh, yeah. He's easy to find. Just type in his name. You'll find him. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Thank and, you. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, good luck with everything. Keep going. and You too. And, uh, I have to, what, your, your, your one book coming out, I have to say, the one, it's called the, uh, what is it? The, uh, the Donut Legion. Right. What's that going to be about?
5: Well, it's a, it's a conspiracy novel, really, in a way. It's, it's, uh, I think it's about fanatics, people that have taken some sort of stupid idea to heart, but it's no more stupid than the real ideas people have taken to heart. And uh, I did (laughs) a lot of research on that. And at first I thought, oh, this is just crazy. And then I started reading all these books and and things where people had these, you know, very conspiratorial beliefs and, and, you know, crazy beliefs about this and that. And and I just felt like that this was all gotten to where it was no longer a fringe group. But just, you know, the crazy of the week and uh I just thought that this particular book would be good to express that. Uh I didn't know it when I was writing it, but I was reading all these other things and when I started writing this book, which I thought was just a, a crime novel, a mystery novel, and then what happens always happens, like what we deferred to earlier, is that things that interest me or things that are going on in my life seep into the work. <laughs> Looking well,
4: forward to that. Yeah, you certainly got a lot a lot to to draw from. Lately. (laughs)
5: Yeah, 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 that's that's true.
4: Yeah, Yeah, it's crazy. Well, again, thank you very much. Our guest today has been uh, Joe Lansdale.
0: Thanks. We interrupt our programming. This is a national emergency. Important details will
2: follow. Are you prepared? Legacy food storage. The best way to protect your family is by being prepared. Go now to LegacyFoodStorage.com. Use coupon code HOM15 now for 15% off. Quick, go.
1: Morning face. You get it when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, what is ah, that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Run! No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. Stay back. I've got mace. Ow, that one in my eyes. Quit moving. It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA Sultan mattresses. IKEA, love your home.
0: Look, we know that boy's gonna ask again, so let's be ready. Fine, I'll be him. You ready? Ready.
1: Mom, could you hook me up
4: with a go phone? You'll run up the bill, son. Yo, that's whack, moms. Go phone is totally different. What, it'll only cost me an arm? Chillax, it has unlimited talk and text. Seriously? Word. Okay, we'll get a go phone. Really? Uh, really? That is the bomb. Do you even know what the bomb means? Yes.
3: No. Hey! I- GoPhone, only from AT&T. With unlimited talk to 65 million wireless AT&T customers and now unlimited text to anyone on any network. AT&T, your world delivered.
6: Now back to the show with Alan Dave.
3: Okay,
4: you have made it back. Well, I have. <laughs> I don't know anybody else. I guess I'm here too. I, I thought I was all alone there for me. minute. Yes. Me and my dog yeah. <laughs> looking at me like why don't we do something? Let's... <laughs> Go for like, a ride. Why are you talking to that thing? Thing, right? Yeah. It's not real. Come on. My cat thinks the same thing. Yeah. probably thinks like, you're Pay loonious. attention to me. Well, we are loony in a way, you know, if you think yeah. about it. You just got these guys that. just sitting there talking to these like poles. I don't know. <laughs> no. But um, okay, so I have to say that I saw um, what the, the Moonland or whatever that moon Moonfall.
5: Oh, Moonfall! Yeah,
4: terrible I haven't movie. Seen that yet, yeah, <laughs> terrible movie. I have to say, um, it's not even a movie you can sit and watch when you're sick and you just think, well, it doesn't matter, you know? Yeah, terrible movie. Um, <laughs> I can't say anything good about it. No, you know, it was. It was two hours and 20 minutes. Oh, no. And you know why? Because they added all this drama. They made it all this this cry scene like, oh, I'm going to save the world <laughs> and we're all going to die. I love you more than, you know, that sort of stuff, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. and and it's like, and they bring kids in an hour into the movie. All of a sudden, you've got kids from these astronauts <laughs> going up that that all of a sudden that they're going to miss and and love forever and always remember and all that. And I'm thinking... Who are these people? I don't know anything about them, and all of a sudden, everyone's crying in a group. It's like this doesn't <laughs> no they, sense. They didn't set it up. No, it was wow. terrible. It was terrible. Um, from the big picture standpoint, no. And they could have. They might, They should have kept all that out. Make it wow. down to like an hour and a half, hour and forty minutes. Cut all that, all their stuff out, and just make it a science fiction. Come on, hmm. you know. Since the pandemic, they've been having a hard time making you know decent movies. Well, I think they throw people together. They take an yeah. idea. This is an old story from uh, uh, years ago. Must have been the '80s, maybe hmm. the early '90s. The guy that uh, the Hollow Moon theory. Okay. That the moon is not really um, the moon as we yeah. know it. It's a hollow. It's an instrument created built by aliens years ago okay and this is a real real theory just real books on it it was kind of a big thing 30 years ago it sounds familiar yeah hollow moon theory and that there's there are aliens living in there under the moon and and that's it's also moved into like hitler's there and they put people you know all sorts of (laughs) bases and you've got all sorts yeah you've got a huge amount of stuff going on at the moon now. So it's kind of keeps on moving. And that's why we haven't landed there. And and that aliens are watching us from there, or they control us, you know, you hear all that stuff. So yeah, yeah. it's kind of all in that realm. And, and you know what, I I think it's kind of stupid. It's a BS story, right? It's kind of silly. But I could see that being a good fun science fiction.
0: Yeah, of course. You
4: You know, you could have all sorts of different You can have a different alien in there and what they want to do. You could make up all sorts of fun, right? This could be something really, really kind of fun. And you could go with it and turn it into a really good story. Instead of this one, it's just like a a drama. It's like the, uh, it was like, you've seen it so many more times before, you know? Yeah. Uh, From, you know, the Bruce Willis and, and, you know the rock the the, the meteor hitting the earth and yeah from armageddon already it's the same old story and they're going to save the world world yep and they have sadness and of course they have that they run to the little clip where they're crying with their family or thinking about them and then you know it's just that same same formula different actors but yeah and not done as well no you know i I, the only thing really worth seeing is the effects because they had really good effects you know Hmm. cgi you know they've Come a yeah. long way. It looks really, really good, and I'm sure in a theater it would be awesome. But um, it's not a theater movie, I don't think. Yeah, I don't know if it ever was. Well, no, no, it did. It did go to the theater. Okay, well there you go. It Did, but I, I never got. I, I, I was going to go, and then I just didn't do it. You know. Yeah. So I'm it, probably it, glad that I didn't. No, yeah, you might have felt ripped off, but yeah. it, it probably the effects would be the best part, and you'd have to be in a theater to get that. That yeah. Feeling, I think it, but it's, it, but it it's okay. You know, so two stars, not that they care what I say, but I'd say take it or leave it. If you like the, uh, you know, effects, there isn't a whole lot of action. There isn't any yeah. wild blowing up oh. great scenes. There's nothing like that. It's, it's a slower burn type thing. Okay. So it's, it's nothing drastic in that way. It's just, it is, well, maybe a one star. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm talking about it, so that's how we'll leave it.
6: Yeah. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com.
5: show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me?
6: Well, yeah. good night.
2: This is a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. How you doing? This is Gary Garver. In today's society, the majority of people are not getting enough sleep. I know I'm not. If you're like me and having problems getting a good night's rest, whether it's health or stress-related, I have a solution for you. South Pacific Sleep Lab. South Pacific Sleep Lab will do an evaluation of your sleep pattern and will provide a comprehensive study so you can start getting a restful peaceful night of sleep they take all types of insurance which will cover your cost of the evaluation and they will even provide transportation to their offices at no cost to you for more information contact tony at 310-999-1887 that's 310-999-1887 Tony even stays awake all night, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, so you can sleep better and rest easy. South Pacific Sleep Lab, start feeling better and getting a great night of sleep today. For several years, KCAA has
1: been marketing the Youngevity brand of nutritional and personal care products. Our experience with younggevity has been 100% positive, so we are pleased to recommend them to you. Regarding nutritional supplements, we recommend Pollen Burst in the berry flavor and Tangy Tangerine 2.0 in the tablet form. For regularity issues, we recommend 3-Day Cleanse. And for personal care, we recommend Morning Hydration Cream. You can shop online for Longevity at www.kcaateam.com or you can order by phone by calling 800-982-3197 and tell customer support that you are part of the KCAA team. Youngevity is an American company based in San Diego. Call Younggevity at 800-982-3197 and ask about monthly auto ship that allows you to buy Yongevity products at wholesale prices. That number again, 800-982-3197.
0: The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit TeheboTeaClub.com. Tehebo is spelled T like Tom, A-H-E-E, B like boy, O, then continue with the word T and then the word club. The complete website is TehiboTeaClub.com or call us at 818-610-8088, Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-610-8088, TehiboTeaClub.com.
1: You're on board KCAA's Inland Talk Express. KCAA, Loma Linda, 1050 a.m., the station that leaves no
3: listener behind. 18- us.